great to see you, Purpose Church. I'm so glad that we're together uh, online. Uh, so happy uh, for us to be together this morning to study God's Word. Let's continue our series, Seeing Jesus Through the Eyes of Luke. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Eric did just a, a phenomenal job on the prodigal son. Uh, do you know that we had over 30 decisions for Christ uh, when Pastor Eric uh, gave the invitation, and God just used him in, in such a phenomenal way. And you know what? Let me let me just recommend another of his messages to you. I got a chance to uh, hang out with the high schoolers and high school ministry um, a couple of Wednesday nights ago and heard Eric uh, preach a sermon called God, People, and LGBTQIA+. And I'm telling you, it was it was phenomenal. I I I literally believe this. There are only about five preachers in the world today that could have done that sermon like he did it and done it as well as he did. It's just the best message I've ever heard on that very very challenging and difficult um, uh, subject. And so you know, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, podcast at purposechurch.com. Uh, go, go to our podcast there at purposechurch.com and, and, and look that up, that title. And I really encourage you to, to watch that message. There's a Q&A time uh, afterwards that includes Pastor Eric and myself and Pastor Lisa Tony. And uh, really, just Eric did a remarkable job. And uh, I, I just truly was moved by it and blessed by it, and inspired um, by it. Uh, the title of today's study is Rude Awakenings. From Luke chapter 16, we're going to look at the parable or the story of the shrewd manager. And today we're going to look at one of the most confusing stories in all the Bible. How could a bad man be used by Jesus as a good example? How could a bad man be used as a good example? But Jesus is the master storyteller, and he can make it happen. And he's going to make it happen in this story. And he can make it happen in your story and in my story. If we just turn control over to him, if we hand the pen of our life over to Jesus and let him write our story for us, he can make it turn out good in the end, as he does in the telling of this story. Uh, I admit that this passage meant nothing to me uh, for years as a young Christian in my Christian life. And just recently, within the last few years, I absolutely love this parable. It, it, it just, to me, uh, has become very, very powerful. And you got to remember that when you're reading God's Word. Keep reading the same stories over and over. The Bible is not a book that you read like other books where you read it and, and you're done with it. You just keep reading it over and over, cover to cover, and you will find that at different times in your life, certain passages, uh, certain stories are going to mean more to you than they did at other times in your life. For example, book of Ecclesiastes, I'll admit to you that when I was young, when I was in my 20s, book of Ecclesiastes left me cold. I just didn't get that much out of it. Oh, but when I went through midlife, in my 40s, Ecclesiastes is basically a story about a midlife crisis. And I, oh, it jumped off the page. And, and it hadn't meant anything to me. 
and then it meant the world to me. Uh, this past week in my daily reading of the Bible, I was reading uh, through the book of Lamentations. Now, I'll admit to you, Lamentations, I even saw it coming in my Bible reading plan, and I was like, ah, oh, I don't like that book at all. Let's just skim through it. I'm not a Lamentations kind of guy. And yet, when I read that, knowing the history behind of it, it, after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., and Jeremiah and all the rubble and, and, and of that invasion that took place of, of, of one country on another, of the Babylonians, what is today the nation of Iraq, um, in, invading the nation of Israel, and the destruction that took place, and, and, the, and the refugees that, that fled from Israel, and then thinking about what was going on in the Ukraine um, with the invasion of Russia, and I read the book of Lamentations, and it just, like I said with Ecclesiastes, it jumped off the page to me. It meant so much to me, this part of the Bible that previously had, had been good but, but not great. And, and that's the way it is with God's Word. You, you read it differently at different times in your life, and God applies it by the Holy Spirit in, in different ways. So let's dig in with this parable. Verse 1, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager, in the older translation it's called steward, and sometimes other places in the Bible might be called steward, but the word we would use would be manager, was accused of wasting his possessions. This manager was accused of wasting the possessions of the owner. Now, back then, a manager had tremendous authority. Uh, to do business on behalf of the owner. Um, he could negotiate. He could make contracts. It was a powerful position, and it was a lucrative one. You could make a bunch of money. I mean, if a, if a wealthy person entrusted you with all of their finances, well, they would pay you well for that, and there were ways you could cheat and make even more money uh, as well. It was very lucrative and very powerful. We move on to verse 2. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you, that you're wasting my possessions? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. This man was ruined. He was unlikely to get a comparable job. There were not many jobs like this. This was the creme de la creme. This is... This is uh, an elite kind of position. And so he was unlikely to get another one. There weren't many of them, and now he had a bad reference on his resume. So he had a rude awakening, and that's what the title of this message is, Rude Awakenings. Have you had a rude awakening in your life that kind of changed the course of your life? I mean, when your marriage partner or your boyfriend or girlfriend says, we have to talk, that can often lead to a rude awakening. Four most dreaded words in the English language. When Kimberly says to me those four words, we have to talk, uh, dread comes over me. <laughs> and I'm sure you can identify if your boss says we have to talk or if your spouse says we have to talk or somebody else, a colleague at work says we have to talk or a teacher or a professor says to a student, we have to talk. 
Uh, it happened uh, seven years into our marriage when we had uh, two children, but we were on our way to having six children, and I was working about 70 hours a week at the church. And Kimberly said, we have to talk. And I want you to know, it was unpleasant. <laughs> I did not enjoy that. But it led to some changes and many wonderful blessings as a result of those changes and as a result of that, that rude awakening. Rude awakening happens when your doctor tells you that, that if you have to make certain changes in your life, if you want to live longer, that's a rude awakening. But it can lead to a longer life if you take to heart the rude awakening. A uh, rude awakening happens when you get a bad review at work. I mean, that's basically what happened to this guy. He got a, got a bad work review. He's going to get fired because of a bad review at work. I got one of those recently. Uh, last year, I asked Pastor Greg Zvalstead uh, from our church, I asked him to become our chief of staff on January 1st. And the first thing he did was to interview uh, 30 of our almost 100 full and part-time staff uh, here at Purpose Church, and he interviewed about 30 of them for about 60 hours. So a total of 60 hours of staff input on how, how things are going, how we're doing, how happy are they? Well, surprise, surprise, they told us some things that we could do better as a church. Imagine that. Uh, and, and as I read Greg's report, wrote it all up for me, and I'm sitting there, and I'm reading it, and it was unpleasant to hear. I mean, I thought everything was perfect. I mean, especially my leadership. I mean, what's not to love, right? What's not to love? I thought everything was perfect. Uh, but it was, it was good. It was a rude awakening, but it will lead to some changes as we're kind of overhauling as we come out of the pandemic, we're kind of strategizing and building our, our, our church around our mission and, and honing things. And so it's going to lead to some changes and I believe many tremendous blessings in the future. Because if you respond well to a rude awakening, good things happen. If you ignore it, if you push it back, if you reject it, they won't happen. But you accept it, you look into it, you absorb it. Good things happen from rude awakenings. Verse three, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Let's hold it there for just a moment. When I lose my job here, we are all going to lose our job here someday. God's given us a job. He's given us assignment. He's given us a purpose. And we're all going to lose our job here someday, either through death or through the second coming of Jesus. We all are going to lose our job here. And we've got to prepare for that as this man uh, prepared for that. Verse five. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it for 450. 
is this a popular guy or, or, or what? Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, here comes the plot twist uh, that Jesus is so famous for in his, in his, uh, in his teaching. Just like M. Night Shyamalan is known as a director for amazing, didn't see that coming. Well, here comes Jesus, didn't see that coming. Verse 8. Uh, the master commended. This master has just lost, what was it, like 50% on one of the transactions? And if I'm remembering from the previous slides, 10%, 20% profit on the, on the other transaction. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, three possible explanations for this. People have struggled with this. How does Jesus infer in his parable here to commend a dishonest manager? Three possible explanations. One, this is the most favorable one towards the, towards the dishonest manager, um, that he was foregoing his commission. When he, when he whittled it down, all he was doing was taking off the interest and taking off his own personal commission uh, and the interest because according to the law of Moses, he shouldn't have been charging interest anyway. But that's really just being too favorable towards him. Uh, they wouldn't include the manager's commission and the price anyway. And remember, Jesus does call him the dishonest manager. So I, I don't know about that explanation. Second possible explanation. Some people have said, well, he backed the owner into a corner. All these people coming up and saying, you're the best. I love doing business with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and, and so the owner was backed into a corner and all he could say is, yeah, it was, it was my idea. Glad you're happy. And so he was kind of forced uh, to praise the, the manager. But... I, I don't buy that one either. I, I think there's sometimes you read too much between the lines in the parables. You try to make them say too many things more than Jesus intended. The best explanation is most likely the third one. When Jesus uses an illustration or a story or a parable, he's got a main point and he's not approving of everything that the person in the illustration does. He's got a main point but he's not approving every little thing that happens within that story. Uh, for example, when Jesus says, I'm going to come back like a thief in the night, what he's saying is it's going to be unexpected. He's not uh, meaning that thieves are good. He's just saying that when he comes back, it's going to surprise everybody. It's going to be unexpected. When I use movie clips, I'm not affirming everything about that movie. When I quote someone uh, here, I'm not affirming everything about that person. I just think that what they said was helpful. So here's the main point that Jesus wants to make. Uh, verse 9, I tell you, he says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, and it will eventually go, it'll eventually be gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's the main point here. 
David Wenham writes, so the parable of the unjust steward speaks of the need to prepare for the future crisis of judgment. We're all going to have somewhat of a rude awakening at the judgment, some more than others. But I think for all of us, it's going to be a, a, a time of accountability and, and it will be some, to a greater or lesser degree, a rude awakening. Prepare for the future crisis of judgment by practical generosity in the present. That's the main point of this story, is that this uh, man made changes he needed to make in his life because the rude awakenings had helped him to see things in a new way. Saw things in a new way. First of all, he saw himself. Uh, There is a famous psychologist who once said, nothing indeed is so likely to shock us at first as the manifest revelation of ourselves. If, if, if we could fully see ourselves the way other people see us, like in a flash of insight, we see everything about ourselves the way everybody else sees us or the way God sees us, uh, that would be a shocking experience. His rude awakening made him realize for the first time in his life that he didn't own the money he was managing. He didn't own it. He was the manager of the money for someone else. They owned it. He merely managed it rather than him owning it. God wants us to employ his wealth for the advancement of his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. God wants us to employ our gifts and ability, our time, our our wealth, our income, our possessions. He wants us to use it for the advancement of his kingdom. Now, following Jesus is not all pain and, and sacrifice. God also wants us to enjoy his wealth and to be thankful. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for heaven, for eternity, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Uh, We're to be good managers of our time, uh, the Bible says. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, how you manage your time, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We're to be managers of our gifts and of our abilities. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others, any ability, any talent. We call these spiritual gifts as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And then we're entrusted with the gospel. We never think of that very much, do we? We think of our finances and our possessions and and maybe our time as being something that we have to manage uh, and, and gifts and abilities, all the ones we've just done, we think of those, but we are also entrusted with the gospel. The gospel is something we must manage, that we must steward, 
that we must share. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, what you heard from me, Paul says, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit, the gospel that you have, the, the good news about Jesus. Guard it. It's, it's a deposit. It has been deposited with you that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And then 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So we are stewards of the gospel, which means that we, we have a responsibility to share it with other people. No, no matter what age we are, we have that responsibility. Now, please forgive me for just a couple of minutes here. I'm going to be an obnoxious um, grandparent. Uh, this is our youngest uh, grandchild, uh, our, our youngest, our three-year-old granddaughter, uh, Felicity. She's being kissed by her sister, Avonlea. This is Avonlea. But this is our youngest. This is uh, Felicity. And the other day, her teachers uh, at the daycare center sent us this picture of her with her hand on the shoulder of a little boy with the hashtag, girl on a mission, girl on a mission. Uh, she would go to each of her friends in the daycare, put her hand on their shoulder, look straight into their eyes, and sing this song. Why don't we just put that on a loop for the remainder of our, our, our time together? And by the way, the uh, sign uh, translation, that's our sister Avonlea uh, doing interpretation with sign language uh, on the side. But we're all, whether we're three or 103, we're called to take the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves you, that Jesus loves every person you're going to encounter this week, to, to share that gospel, that good news with everyone. Now, the next 13 weeks, the next 13 weeks are going to be incredibly strategic for sharing the gospel and inviting people to church. Maybe the most strategic 13 weeks in the, in the 152-year history of our church, maybe, maybe in your lifetime or my lifetime, these next 13 weeks are going to be some of the most strategic and, and, and great opportunities to, to share Jesus and to invite people to church that we've ever had. Um, we have six weeks uh, to invite people to our Easter services. And as Pastor Eric uh, mentioned last Sunday, we are now praying that Easter is going to be our first Sunday back in the new worship center. That's what we're praying for. Would you pray with me on, on that. We, let, let's pray together for that. And then as Pastor Josh mentioned a few weeks ago, the six weeks after we're back in the worship center are just this tremendous opportunity for inviting people to church. So we've got six weeks 
to invite people to Easter, then another six weeks until it kind of becomes more normalized and, and kind of the excitement wears off, another six weeks after we're in the new worship center to invite people. And then on the 13th week, June 5th, Pastor Chris Brown is going to be preaching. Let's use these next 13 weeks. As Paul said earlier, he says, taking advantage of the opportunity. The days are evil. We're in tough times. This is a time to share Jesus with others, to steward the gospel, the deposit that has been entrusted to us. And then managers of our material possessions and money. Uh, being a manager doesn't mean giving 10% to God and wasting the other 90%. It means using the whole 100% wholly for the Lord as he directs. And then another thing that he saw, he saw himself and then he saw life. Saw it clearly uh, for the first time. In our reading uh, from Luke last week, in the parable of the prodigal son, we, and, and you combine that parable with this parable to, uh, today, we, we see three examples, three philosophies of life. The younger brother from the prodigal son story, he wasted his life. He just lived in the moment, never thought about the future. The older brother in that story spent his life. He only thought of the future. He just lived this life of drudgery where, you know, every day just one foot in front of the other, do, go, go through the motions, no happiness, no joy, and maybe someday I'll have a party with my friends. So one just kind of spent his life. The other one wasted his life. But here in this parable, the shrewd manager lived his present life in light of his future life. He lived his present life, his life right now, in view of, in light of, in the perspective of his future life in heaven for eternity. And then another thing that this man saw is he saw his master. For the first time, he saw his master clearly. He, he thought he was a pushover. He thought he was far away and, and disinterested. And for the first time, he has a rude awakening when he, when he realizes that being a manager involves not only responsibility uh, and privilege, but it also involves accountability. Not just responsibility, not just privilege, but everything we have involves accountability. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Warren Wearsby writes, the manager made some radical changes in his life when he realized he was going to face his master and give account. He started using present opportunities for future blessings. He started living for people and not for things, for investment and not for mere enjoyment. And then another thing this man finally saw clearly is he saw possessions for what they are. Uh, back to Warren Wearsby. The manager discovered that wealth was only a means to an end, a means of helping others and investing in the future. To be sure, we do not approve of the way he did it, but we do approve of his change of heart. He saw possessions in a new light and began to use them in a new way. And then he saw his friends. Uh, verse 9, I tell you, Jesus said, 
Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, friends in heaven, people you will take with you to heaven so that when it is gone, and it will be gone someday, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is reminding us uh, to use our opportunities to make friends uh, for heaven. You know, when the World Trade Center towers collapsed on on 9-11, did you know that $106 million worth of gold was buried beneath the towers? Do you know that? How how many of you, just right where you are on your sofa or at your computer, um, driving your car with one hand, raise raise your hand. Just raise your hand if you knew that when the Twin Towers came down, the Trade Center Towers, $106 million worth of gold was buried beneath the towers. You know why most of us didn't know that? You know, you, don't, you know why we don't know that? Because when you lose 3,000 people, who cares about the gold? When you lose 3,000 people in a day, who cares about the gold? It's irrelevance. The currency of heaven is faith and friends. That's the gold of heaven. Uh, I absolutely love uh, this picture. Maybe, maybe you've seen it. Uh, it's been, been around the last uh, few days. It's a picture of a Russian soldier with tears coming out of his eyes, down his cheeks. A Russian soldier in Ukraine because the Ukrainians are feeding him. They're, they're bringing him food to eat and they let letting him use their cell phones to call home to Russia. Ukrainians meeting the one invading their country, feeding him, um, handing him the cell phone, call your mom, call, call your family back home, and the emotional response of this young soldier far, far away from home. We need more of that. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. And then finally, the importance of faithfulness. Let's wrap it up with verses 10 through 15. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. If you chase two rabbits at the same time, you won't catch either of them. You got to figure out which rabbit you're going to chase. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at him. In the original Greek, it literally means they were turning their nose up at him. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And I would reverse that. What people don't value that highly is 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 very precious in God's sight. I think I've shared with you before the story of uh, supposedly a true story of some guys that broke in uh, to a Kmart one night. 
and this was a few years back when there were a lot of Kmarts, and, and they did a prank. They weren't stealing anything. What they did is they went through the whole Kmart and they switched the price tags, spent the few hours that night changing all the price tags. So when they opened the next morning, things that were really high in value had cheap price tags on them. And things that weren't much worth much at all had high price tags on them. They were all mixed up. Wow, that's a picture of what Jesus is talking about. Let's go back to that verse. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What people don't value, I would say, is also precious in God's sight. And imagine if you had a corrected price list and you could go through that Kmart and, oh, you would, you, you would ignore the big price tag items that aren't worth much and you would get some deals on the other stuff that had a low price tag, but it was very, very valuable. And you know what our, our corrected price list is in this life? It's God's word. And we go through God's word like we've just been doing for the last half hour. And, and, and that's why we spend time together like this. This is, this is why we're reading through Luke together on our own. And then we're talking about it in our life groups. And then here on Sunday mornings, we're going through it. It's telling us, oh, that thing over there, uh, th th that is highly valued by the people around us, but it means nothing to God. And then that thing over there that nobody thinks is all that important is very precious, has eternal value with God. And we're able to live our lives wisely, making the choices like the dishonest manager. Uh, we, we encounter God's word. Uh, sometimes we go through rude awakenings in life. And it, and it helps us to make those million little choices that will help us to end up in heaven with lots of what's valuable and ignoring the things that don't last for eternity. May God bless us and guide us as we make those million little choices uh, for the remainder of our lives. Let's close with this. The future is a million little choices. Practice or play video games. Two hours in the gym or two hours at the movies. A little extra work or a little extra play. Reconcile or let the sun go down on your anger. Get up or push the snooze button again. Take a potential client to the game or take a kid from a broken home. Spend that bonus on yourself or give it to a ministry that reaches out to pregnant teens. If we could get a picture of the future, if we could jump ahead 10, 15, 20 years, and see the accumulation of our decisions, the chain of events we set in motion, how differently would we live today? How would we choose to spend our time? What would we walk away from? How would we treat the people around us?
What would we choose to pursue with passion? Where would we choose to invest our skills and our resources? Your future is a million little choices. And it starts today.